You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. We pray, we pray Christ be magnified. We pray that you will take moves and make those, those daring moves that, that often don't pay off to follow you. Make the moves that, and buy the farm, right? We talked about on Monday, buy the farm, risk it all. God provides for us, and even if it doesn't look like it's working in the moment, it'll work in the long term. And if it doesn't, then what have we done? We've lost momentary wealth for eternal wealth. Lord, we, we just ask that you be magnified through everything, everything on this campus, everything we, everything we do. Christ be magnified. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you just stand up for a minute? Sorry. I uh, asked the band to stay up here. I just don't think, I think there's a moment here. I think there's an opportunity. And uh, I've asked them to stay here just because I believe that, you know, coming in here, like, I love to stand up here and teach and talk, and, and maybe we'll do that, but I just... Said something really unique. And as I was standing over there, I was just kind of emotionally overwhelmed because I believe the Lord was just inviting me into a unique moment with us tonight. And I just wondered if Maybe God's already stirring your heart tonight. And you might, you might just have something that God is speaking to you about. I think specifically maybe a, an issue of surrender in your life. Or maybe a, a step of faith. Maybe a bold or courageous thing that he wants you to walk towards tonight. Maybe it's something you need to let go that's holding you back. Maybe it's being in the grip of fear about something. Maybe it's just being so addicted to something that you can't get rid of it and, and you know that it's ruining your life. Maybe it's a doubt that you've struggled with in your faith and you just you feel dead inside and you don't want to feel that way, but you do. Maybe you've opened the door to sin in your life, something that you know is wrong, and you know that it's bringing destruction upon yourself, and you just, you've just kind of succumbed to it. You've just kind of agreed to let it happen. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off. And if I am, we'll just move on. But I want to make an invitation right now before we go any further, just to invite you to surrender. I don't know what that is, but you do. And I'm just going to stop right now, and the band's going to just play for a second. They don't even know what we're doing. I just came up and said, hey, you guys just stay up here. But as, as the band just plays, just for a second, Maybe, maybe this is for you. 
but I want to publicly invite you to come forward and to pray for a moment. Let's just see what God wants to do. And if he's speaking, before we do anything else and before I get in the way, I just want to give the opportunity for something I just believe God is doing right now. So as we have been gathered here this week, I just think there's been something that's been building here. And I was not planning on doing this. We didn't talk about this. This just happened. But I, I have a good sense of where I believe the Holy Spirit might be leading tonight. And I just want to make that invitation for you. And so maybe with complete awkwardness, which is great for me. Because I think when it's awkward and weird and we respond, it's all the better. I really do. I think that's where it, it, there's courage. And some of you, maybe your heart is like beating. You're like, man, I believe God's speaking to me. If he is about whatever it is, I just want to invite you to come forward right now as I'm talking. Don't wait. Let's just give this time to God. That's what this week is about. It's not about me. It's not about a speaker. It's not about extra chapels. It's about us having a meeting with God. And if you want that and you need that, I just want to invite you to come and to pray. Baby. 
regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling
take a moment and just pray together, and I want you to bow your heads, and it's just a unique, one of those unique moments that hopefully our hearts are in a place where God can just speak, and we can hear what he has to say to us tonight, and if you're open to receive what God would say to you tonight, just want you to raise your hand. If you're open tonight to receive what God would say, just raise your hand. And as we pray, could you just, as I pray right now, can you just keep your hand up in faith, saying, God, I'm listening tonight. I believe you're going to speak to me tonight. Keep your hand up in the air if you're open. Father, I thank you for what you're doing tonight, and I thank you for the power of your presence, Lord, that has spoken already tonight. You're so faithful. What we've sung together tonight and proclaimed is so true that we want you to be magnified, Lord that we want to lift you up and draw this world to who you are, to your amazing beauty, to your love, to your grace, to your compassion. Lord, that we can proclaim to the hurting that you're a father to the fatherless, that you're closer than a brother, that you never leave us or forsake us, Lord, to a world and to ourselves, to know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. God, give us, give us tonight a greater love for you, a greater measure of surrender, and a greater love for others, I pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said. And thanks for hanging with me. Can you play just for a second and, and uh, just kind of quietly have a seat? Wow, did not expect that. But God is here tonight, isn't he? He is here tonight, that's good. I hope that you're always ready for whatever God might do because I just love moments like that where it's unpredictable and you don't really know what's going to happen. And it's just been, uh, man, I have just, every day it feels like my, my love for you is growing. I am. Um, I had a good time at the volleyball game, and uh, number twelve back there crushing it. Oh my goodness! Never seen anything quite like that, Isabel. It was amazing. That was, that was pretty good. And uh, man, just 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 love being here with you guys. One of one one person from this school is going to be on national TV on October first. And uh, she didn't want me to say anything, but I just have to tell you, you have to find out who it is. I'm not going to say because it, it would embarrass her, but there's someone from your student body that's going to be on national TV on October 1st. That's all I'm going to say. She would be embarrassed if I said her name. I might say her initials. Her initials might be KK. They might not. I'm not sure, but I'm just saying, just saying, we know Hey, so good, so good, and you know, it's, it's remarkable what, what God can do to just take moments like this in our lives and just bring things together we, that we could never, ever orchestrate. Um, a lot of you ask about the, the trailer that I, that I um, showed you this morning, and that documentary is, is um, being finished, and uh, I don't really have any information about what platform. It's going to be on some platform, hopefully someone's going to pick it up, but just keep your eyes open. 
hopefully maybe I can give an update and when it is released, which I don't know when that will be, but I can't wait for that to happen. And um, I want to tell you, though, just a little add-on to that story that I was going to, to add this morning, but just kind of ran out of time. But I got done with that walk, and I was just completely exhausted and just physically just drained and and really just, it was one of the most difficult experiences of my life. And, and I got done, and I ended in Kansas City, and all I wanted to do was get home. And my wife and girls uh, borrowed this old, like, 1999 RV that they made their way out there, and they picked me up, and then we are going to drive back. And this RV is from Michigan. Some friends of ours let us borrow it. So they drove out, and they followed me the last few days. And then uh, we were driving home on July 3rd of 2020. It was a Friday morning, and it already at like 7 in the morning in Kansas, it was well over 80, heading into 90 degrees early in the morning. It was one of those hot days, and we're just a few minutes into the drive back to Michigan, left early in the morning, and we blew a tire in the RV. So we pulled over, we called AAA, they came and, and fixed it. And then we got back on the road, and five minutes later, no kidding, we blew a second tire. And so it was something's like, man, we're not supposed to get home or something. And there's a much, much bigger story. I'm just going to tell you part of it. But we kind of limped this RV off the road into the nearest exit and pulled into a, a Walmart. And by this time, it was about 9 in the morning. And we didn't know what to do. And AAA didn't really know what to do because it seemed like there was something wrong. and We couldn't figure it out. And we're sitting there. And... I'm just like completely depressed. I'm like, I just want to be home. I just walked hundreds of miles and I just was not feeling the greatest. And I wasn't, I looked pretty rough. I looked like this old, haggard, rough, homeless guy, you know. And, and so I was just like, man, I just want to get out of here. And then um, AAA was like, hey, I don't really know what to tell you. And so I went into Walmart looking for a tire. They didn't have one. I came out and my family is talking to this man, this stranger, and he looked like a pretty rough character. He looked like he lived a pretty hard life, and he just drove by, saw my family sitting right next to the RV, and he goes, hey, do you guys, you having a problem? And she said, yeah, we're having a problem with the RV, and he goes, well, it's kind of crazy, but like, I work on RVs, do you want me to look at it? And we're like, yeah. And so he went underneath, and he looked at this RV, and he looked at these, the back tires, where the axle was attached to the chassis, to the frame of the vehicle. And he looked underneath, he goes, that doesn't look right, and it looks crooked. And he went around and looked at the other side, where the tires were fine, and it looked straight. And on the tires where they had blown, it was crooked. And what we had realized was there was a crack in the frame, and that thing was just about ready to snap off. And if that would have happened when we were driving on the interstate, we probably would have flipped and likely would have been seriously injured or died. It was just one of those really crazy, remarkable situations that we just happened to discover, and this guy just happened to be there. And so this man stayed with us all day. This man who works in RVs and knows what's going on, and at this random Walmart parking lot in Kansas City, this man happens to drive by on a Friday morning, on a holiday weekend at 9 in the morning, and stays with us the entire day to fix that RV and get us home. And he and some friends pulled together, and throughout the day, they managed to fix this thing in a Walmart parking lot. And they did about $5,000 worth of work, which would have cost us in a shop, and we would have been there probably at least another four or five days, if not more, 
because of the holidays and all that other stuff. And that man just happened to be there. And I say that to you because God does things like that, that only God can do. And if you're looking for it, he will provide something every step of the way. When it looks really bad and when it looks grim, God will provide. Now, I've, I mentioned to some of you, but some of you, I ask a lot of you where you live, and a lot of you are mentioning these small little towns like I don't know, but I know a lot of these little towns that you mentioned because I used to live in this area. I used to live in Plymouth, Indiana. And when I lived in Plymouth, I worked for a pastor, and that pastor used to be a policeman. And before he was a pastor, he went into the police force right out of college. And one of his first assignments as a policeman was over Christmas break, and he got this phone call. And between Christmas and New Year's, and it had warmed up a little bit, this happened in northern Indiana, and he got a phone call to show up at the site of this something that happened with this family. And what had happened was... There was a single mom that had four kids, and it was a little bit warm outside, and they wanted to go out and play, and they lived right next to a lake, and so they, were, they said, Mom, we're going to go out and play, and the mom warned them and said, Listen, if you go outside, don't go play on the lake because it's warm, and it's probably thawed the ice a little bit, and you could fall in and get hurt. So she told them, Don't do that. So the kids go out and play. Well, sure enough, the oldest one wants to test it out, so he kind of walks out into the ice a little bit, and sure enough, he falls down in, and then the second oldest comes out to help them, and they fall in. And then the third sibling comes in, and they fall in. And the only one left is the youngest. And so they're crying out for help, and they say, run back and get mom. And so the little boy runs back. She sees what's going on. She calls the police, and she runs back to the lake. And, and my pastor friend, his first assignment as a policeman, as a, as a young man, he shows up just when the mom had gotten there and discovered that she had lost three of her children in the lake. It's a pretty tragic situation. And so that left an indelible mark on my friend Dave, as you might imagine, to witness something like that, especially so soon in your career. And so years and years and years passed, and then Dave became a pastor. And Dave and I did, we did the chaplaincy at the local jail there in Plymouth. And one day... We did chapel on Sunday afternoons at 2 o'clock, and one day, Dave got a call, being in charge of the chaplaincy, that the pastor didn't show up on the Sunday afternoon, and they said, do you want to show up? There's a bunch of guys here waiting to do chapel, and so Dave got in the car, and on the way, he didn't have anything prepared, and he's kind of flipping through his Bible, and this memory of this accident comes to mind, and so he goes into the jail, and he goes into this little room, and it, they called it the drunk tank. It's where they would throw on the drunks in overnight to get sober. That's where we had chapel. So it's pretty interesting. If you're a pastor, you go in there, and they lock the door, and you're there in the drunk tank, and there's no getting out. There's no other policeman in there. So he goes in there, and he starts sharing this story. And he says, you know, these children went out into the lake when they were warned, and they didn't listen. And his message to them was something like this. God is warning you today. You're here, and this is a warning sign. You're, you're, you shouldn't be here in jail right now, and you are, and God is warning you to listen. And he presented the good news about Jesus, and several of those men gave their lives to Christ right there in the drunk tank and in the jail in Plymouth, Indiana. And then everyone got up to leave, except for one person who was really, really just stirred up by the message and he was just emotionally overwhelmed by what he just heard and what God was doing and what happened. And so Dave went over and said, hey, listen, you know, 
you need to get back to your cell. And he said, I just need a minute. And Dave said, you know, hey, listen. And Dave, being a policeman, you know, in jail, you don't mess around. He's like, hey, you really need to go. And he goes, listen, I need to tell you something. I'm not supposed to be here. Now, if you've ever worked with anyone in jail or in prison, you hear that a lot. Dave's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, no, I'm not supposed to be here. He goes, I got pulled over last night for a traffic violation. And they pulled me in here because I'm not paying my child support. He goes, I've never had kids. In fact, this morning... They woke me up and told me, hey, we made a mistake last night. We're really sorry. He goes, they're going to release me right after this chapel service, but I decided just to come here randomly. He said, but there's something else. That I was the little boy that watched all my kids die that day. You see what God did there? God took this little boy that grew up with the pain of that memory And years and years and years later, in a different town, he was pulled over randomly, brought in incorrectly, and happened to be there where a chaplain didn't show up, where Dave was called. Think about all the layers that made that moment possible. Only God can do something like that. And what I want to remind you is, is this, is that when you're following Jesus, there will be moments like that that will blow your mind at what God will do if you're willing to follow him and listen to him. And if there's anything that we've learned in this story of Joseph is that when Joseph just continued to do what he needed to do to survive, what he needed to do to be faithful in the moment, God was orchestrating and directing his life. And up to this point, the story about Joseph that we've talked about this week hasn't really been that positive. You know, he was the, the favored son, this punk little 17-year-old with a dream, and then his brothers sold him into slavery, and then he's wrongfully accused and then put into prison from being a slave, so now he's been in prison. And then he helps people out, and then he's forgotten. And when we were introduced to Joseph, he was 17 years old, and now 13 years have passed, and Joseph is 30. He's an older man. And so after... Joseph had helped the cupbearer interpret his dream, which we talked about this morning in Genesis 41. It says two full years passed, and then Pharaoh, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. He had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, which is their main river. When out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds, and after them seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside them on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt, they ate up the seven sleek fat cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. And then he fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain were healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads, and then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream." And in the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for them. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers Joseph after two years. And he was like, oh yeah, you know what, I remember that guy Joseph when I was in prison. And I had a dream, and actually he was spot on, and he called it exactly right. What if he could come in and interpret this dream? And so Joseph comes in to Pharaoh, and they get him all cleaned up and all ready to go. 
Because this is a very, very important meaning, as you might imagine. And so he stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him his dream. So he sent for him, and then he explains his dream again to Joseph. And then Joseph, as he's talking about this, he says, listen, all this belongs to God. This is a dream from God, and you need to listen So in verse 25, he says this, Joseph said, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. And it is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. The reason this dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and he will do it soon. And then he gives Pharaoh a plan. He says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest during the seven years of abundance, and they should collect all the food and basically store it up. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man in whom there is the Spirit of God? And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, here there is no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people and are submit to my orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And in one day, my friends, in one day, in one day, only in one day, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. In one day. Only God can do that. Only God can do something and orchestrate something like that. But it was because of Joseph's faithfulness that he had the ability to lead. It was only because he was faithful. His faithfulness gave him the ability to lead in that moment. That what he had been doing day by day, first with Potiphar and then in prison, he was just being faithful. Day after day after day. Not waiting for the right circumstances, not waiting for his break, but doing it day after day after day. And as I've been here on campus and watched a lot of you, especially you athletes, and there are some amazing athletes here and some amazing teams, and you guys work hard, I can tell, and you don't just go up there and wing it, but you're really out there working, and it's because you put in the work. You know, Sometimes we think with faith, it's like, well, just go and do it. But it's so much similar to what everyday life is like. And there's a difference between trying and training. And what the reality is for you right now, whether you realize it or not, is you're being trained in faith right now at this moment. That God is training you for something for the future that he has for you set aside that only you can do. No one else could do what Joseph did, and the same is true for you. There is something that God has for you that only you can do, and you're being trained in righteousness. So if you're being faithful in the little things, if you're being obedient in every way that you know you can, if you're making good choices, if you're spending time in God's Word, if you're building a good community around you, if you're following Jesus as best you can, if you're plugged into a local church of believers, all those little things that don't really seem that exciting or sexy are things where you're training yourself. 
Now God brings the growth, but we put ourselves in a position to do that. Now I've met a lot of you. I haven't really talked to a lot of you on the basketball team. Are there any basketball players in here tonight? Yeah, it's my sport. Basketball. I mentioned it before, but Steph Curry is amazing. And I think he's the greatest shooter that we've ever seen. And there's this routine that a lot of pro basketball players use, and it's called Beat the Pro. And what they do is, it's like a warm-up they do, and they try to get to seven. And so when they shoot, if they make a basket from anywhere, it's worth one point. But if they miss it, it's negative two. So the goal is to try to get to plus seven before you get to negative seven. So if you imagine you shoot one, you get one, you shoot two in a row, you're at two points. If you shoot three in a row, you're at three points. But then if you shoot your fourth shot and miss it, you're at just plus one. Does that make sense? So the goal is you want to get to seven. But Steph Curry, being the man that he is, he took it up a couple notches. And he calls it beat the ogre. This is what Steph Curry does as one of his warm-ups. He does this thing where it's the same, same principle where you shoot and every shot you make is worth one, but if you miss, it's worth negative four. And his goal is to get to 21, not seven. So let's just stop and think about this for a minute. Shoot one, you make it. Shoot two, you make it. Shoot three, you make it. How many you got so far? Three. You shoot four, you make it. Shoot five, you shoot six, you shoot seven. How many you're at? You're at seven. You shoot eight, you shoot nine. You're on a roll. You hit 10 in a row. Then you miss one. What are you at? Six. You miss the second one. What are you at? Two. So think about that. You made ten in a row, but with two misses, you're at two. Steph Curry does this, but not only does he do it, he's doing this behind the three-point line. And every shot that he's shooting, he is actually moving instead of standing still. That's how good Steph Curry is. And he does this. And he will not stop until he gets to 21. And usually he gets it on his second try. Why is he the greatest shooter of all time? Because he understands the value of training, being faithful in the little things. That's why he's looked to in those moments, in important games and in the playoffs and in championships, because every day in the gym he's beating the ogre. And for you, if you want to be a person that changes the world, you have to understand there's no such thing as an overnight success in the kingdom of God. You're not going to wake up one day and God say, um, all of a sudden I'm going to use you. But if you're faithful, and Joseph is such a great example of this. The other thing that we see about Joseph is that Joseph here is at a different place in his life where he clearly is just ready to give the credit to God. Just think about where he was when we first saw him in the story. He's 17 years old. You remember when you were 17? And you think you know everything. You know, I had three daughters, and when, especially my youngest daughter, her name's Sophia, I call her Sophopedia because she knows everything. And when she turned 13, all of a sudden she knew so much more than I did. It was amazing. And I said, Sophie, thank you for your wisdom because I don't know how we get through this life without you. 17 years old, he thinks he knows everything, he has this dream, and then life knocks the wind out of him. His family turns on him, and he is knocked to the ground. And it was out of that humility that I believe prepared him for this moment of glory. 
where Joseph was about to ascend into a place that he could never have dreamed possible to fulfill those dreams that God had given to him. And if you're at a place where you're ready to give credit to God, let me tell you, you're ready. But if you're not, as we've been talking about dreams and visions, some of you, you have something very specific in mind. You go, I have a dream and I have a vision. I believe it's from God. But listen, if that dream is revolved and wrapped around you and your desires, it's not of God and it's definitely not big enough. God has something so much bigger. Now, he may be giving you little glimpses of it right now. And that's good. I've been talking to some of you this week and hearing about some of the things that God is stirring up in your life. And I can see it in your eyes. God is giving you something. But listen, it's not until you're ready to give the credit to God that God will truly release you for what you're ready to do. Because some of you may not just be ready yet. You think you're ready. But have you been trained? Have you been prepared? Can you stand on a stage like this, not even necessarily physically, but symbolically? God is preparing you for a stage but he'll not give it to you until you're ready. You know, when I was 17, I was working two jobs in high school. I've always kind of had two jobs. My first job, I was 14. I was a busboy and I was a paperboy. And then a little bit later, I worked at a veterinarian after school. And then at night, it's kind of weird, I worked two jobs. I cleaned buildings late at night. Now listen, you should not give keys to a bank to a 17-year-old. But they did. And one day, I'm in there cleaning the bank one night, a job that I hated, by the way. And I hear someone in the bank, and this is like 10 o'clock at night, and I'm a high school kid, and it scared me because I thought, you know, maybe we're getting robbed, and it was my boss. He was like, give me the keys. And I said, what'd I do? He goes, uh, Jeff, when you clean banks and you're done, you don't leave them unlocked. <laughs> Oops. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't responsible. Some of you have great dreams and aspirations, but are you ready? Only God knows, but when you're willing to give God the credit, it's only then that it will matter. Here's what I love about this story at this point is that Joseph could have said, all right, there's your interpretation. I'm good. Pharaoh, I told you what the dream means, and you're good. But Joseph goes a step further, and this is what's so special about this story is that Joseph doesn't just give him the dream, but then he proposes a plan. And this was a bold move for Joseph. Joseph makes such a bold move here because Joseph is not from Egypt. Why should he care? These aren't his people. He's living in the palace. You know, he, he's taken care of at this point, like he's before Pharaoh. He's got his favor, and it could have been all good. But here, all of a sudden, with this bold move that Joseph makes... Joseph says, even though you aren't my people, and even though I was brought here as a slave, and even though I've been treated unjustly and unfairly and put in prison, I'm still going to offer a solution. And let me tell you something. Our world is filled with people that will point out the problem, but they won't point out the solution. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl that on social media rants and raves about everything that is wrong with the world and doesn't offer a solution. That is not of God. That is not what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to just throw everything out there. And I know justice is a big issue right now. And listen, all of you are wired for justice. There's something within each of you 
where something is wrong that you see in the world and you're meant to do something about it. But let me tell you, justice in God's eyes is not bringing people down and pushing people down and punishing people. That may be the world's version of justice, but that's just vengeance. Justice is finding the oppressed, finding the need, and lifting them up. That's justice. My friends, let's be on the side of justice instead of vengeance, amen? Let's be on the side of hope instead of despair. Let's be on the side of solutions rather than problems. Because listen, when you look at your, the people like me, the adults that are giving you this world that you're hearing, we have screwed it up in terms of just throwing out all the garbage of what we think is wrong in conversations and on social media, and we've provided no solutions. And I've made a personal commitment never to say anything against anything unless I'm willing to offer a solution and be a part of it. And just simply spewing my opinion on social media is not doing anything about it, except for maybe just making me feel better about myself. And I told you about this trail that I walked, and I'm no hero. But I walked this trail, and God's pulled me into something that I never really thought I'd be a part of. And one of the things that I've been doing in the last two years is fighting for an apology from the United States government, from our highest office, from the president, to have an official and public apology to the Native American people for what we've done. You know, in the history of our nation, with all the injustices and all the broken treaties, There's never been a formal combined with a public apology from our president, and it's 2022, and it's about time. And that's something that God has pulled me into to fight for. God is pulling you into something to fight for it. God has a mission for you, but you got to make a bold move. And I think this was so bold on Joseph's part that he made this move where he said, all right, I'm not just going to state the problem, I'm going to state the solution. And some of you have just been holding back and you're like, man, I, I don't know, like, can I really go for it? I, I've just felt this week that God's speaking to some of you and saying, you're headed in a direction for your career or your major and it needs to change. And you've got to make a bold move. And God is speaking to you about some things, and you just got to be willing to trust God and make a bold move. A few years ago, I decided to do something kind of crazy, and I decided to jump out of an airplane. Has anybody here ever jumped out of an airplane before? All right, a few people. You guys have jumped out of airplanes? There's nothing like it. I mean, I remember doing this, and they they gave me this little altimeter. This looked like a watch, and... You get in the back of this little bitty plane, and it shows you how high you're getting. So I see it, it goes to 1,000 feet, and 2,000 feet, and 3,000 feet, and 4,000 feet, and it continues to go up. Now, being the first time I'd ever jumped out of a plane, there's two options for your first jump. You can do a tether jump, which means that you're, you're basically attached to the plane. So when you jump out, your, auto, your chute automatically deploys. And as soon as you jump out, your chute's open and you float down. And with that, you're by yourself, but you don't get the free fall experience. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to do it. So the second option is you go with, you jump in what's called a tandem jump, where you go with someone else who's an expert who's done this before, and they kind of guide you through the process. So we went through the training, wanted to get the free fall experience, so did the tandem jump, 
And uh, the guy that I was paired up with, his name was Steve, okay? And so Steve is right there. And when you do a tandem jump, it's not like you're this far apart. You're this far apart. So we were buddies, not by choice. And so we're in the back of the plane, and I'm nervous, and I'm like, how many people have ever backed out of this in all the years because you know where this is going? And he's like, oh, just only one. It's a 12-year-old girl. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think it's a 12-year-old girl, because only one. So I was like, oh, man, I guess I got to do this. So, so we're in the back of the plane, and I'll just never forget it. They opened up the door, and this cold air just rushes in. Now, a lot of you, I'm assuming, have been in airplanes, and when you look out the window, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but like, what would it be like to just jump through those clouds right out of that window? Well, that's, you open the door, and there you are. We're at 11,000 feet. I'm looking at my little thing there, and I'm just thinking, why did I pay to do this? And so, you know, it's really loud, and so Steve's right in my ear. He's like right here, you know, like right here, and he was like, all right, scoot over to the edge. And I was like, are you sure? Is that really what we need to do? He goes, yep, scoot over to the edge. So you imagine it's, it's kind of awkward when you're like attached to somebody. So I'm like scooting over like this fast, you know, like, okay, one, two, three, we'll all move at the same time. And so then I sit over on the edge and then, okay, and there we are. And I was like, I need a minute. So I'm looking down, and I'm seeing clouds, and I'm feeling the cold air, and I'm thinking, am I really going to do this? And so the wing is out here, and there's a little brace, you know, a little bar there that goes from, like, underneath the wing to brace it onto the fuselage of the plane. And so I grabbed onto that brace with, with dear life, you know what I mean? Like, okay, maybe I can just pull, like, a Mission Impossible and jump out and just hang there and swing back in, you know? <laughs> just trying to think of all my options here. And so, uh, so then it's like, okay, he gives me the tap, like, it's time to go. And I was like, I need a minute, you know. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, I'm just thinking about it, and then, ever so subtly, he very bromantically moved his hand up mine, <laughs> pulled it off the brace, and probably whispered in my ear, let go. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. So all of a sudden, it's like, all right, here we go, God. Take me now, Jesus, you know, and jumped out of the airplane. And at 120 miles an hour, was screaming towards the earth with Steve right here next to me. <laughs> and then at a certain point when it's time to pull the ripcord and they let you feel like a big boy and do it yourself, you know. So he gave me the tap, like time to pull the ripcord. So I pulled the ripcord. And you go from this very loud sound of wind and rushing through your ears and into your face to like almost complete serenity and silence. You pull this, the chute comes up, and then Steve looked up and he said a word that I cannot repeat in chapel because it was not a good word. But when he said this word, I think I did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't say, Sean, I can't say what that word is because this is chapel. But he said, a, he said a naughty word, and I almost did a naughty, I think I may have did a naughty thing in my pants, because that, that's, that is not a word you want to hear, you know what I mean? And so he said this word, and I'm like, you know, listen, dude, don't, don't say that stuff. Don't, don't, 
Well, it turned out our chute was kind of twisted and ended up being okay. Spoiler alert, I lived, in case you were wondering. You know, it comes down to a moment. It comes down to a moment where you've got to just go. You know what I've sensed about tonight specifically is that for some of you, you've been just kind of sitting there waiting. You've been holding on to that brace. You're in this nice little place of comfort. But you've not said to God, okay, I'm ready to go. And here's the thing. That, that experience parallels faith in, in a lot of ways. One of the things that parallels faith in is that the need for us at a moment just to go, but it also parallels the idea that we're not alone. And I love that. I love the fact that when we go on this adventure with God and we chase him and their dreams chase us, that he is with us, that he's been there, that he understands that he will never leave you or forsake you. You know, as we were, as we were, worshiping tonight I just kept thinking about the fact that some of you here have never really known what it means to trust God there may be reasons for that some of you maybe don't get the father God thing because your father has been a terrible example on this earth and a poor representation of what a father is but I want to tell you he's the perfect father I want to tell you he loves you he's jealous for you he wants the best for you he is protecting you in ways that you can't even imagine. And for some of you, maybe it's hurt in the past or you just don't ever really have anything that you've just allowed God to do. And tonight, I just want to give you an opportunity to make a bold move tonight. I want to give an opportunity for some of you just to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to make a bold move. And here's what I know. Like, I don't know your life. I don't know where you're at. I just believe that just giving you an opportunity tonight to make a bold move. I'm going to ask uh, the band, the, the keys, to come up and uh, just going to play for a second. And what I want to invite you to do tonight is I want to invite you to consider if it's time for you to make a bold move in your faith. And I want to be specific about some things. Number one, I don't want to make an assumption about anyone here that you've already decided to follow Jesus. You know, some of you grew up in homes of faith where your parents maybe were believers, and you've gone to church, and you've been familiar, and maybe even know the story. Maybe you can come up here and tell the story better than I can, but you've never said, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life, and I want to give you that opportunity to do that tonight because I think that's the most important place to start. So it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what you've believed, how you've lived, what you've come from, what you think of yourself. Jesus is offering an invitation to follow you and to take you on this adventure with him. And for some of you, I believe there's a change that God is calling you to, specifically. And it might be a change of direction in your life might be a change for the future. You've had these dreams and aspirations and you just held on to them so tightly and maybe like Joseph, you thought you knew what it all meant and maybe God's beginning to reveal something but it's all been about your timing and your control and you've got to just release that and surrender that to God. Maybe it's a relationship that you've been holding on to that's holding you back and that doesn't mean this is a bad person but it's just something that you know and you need to release that. You've been holding on to because of the comfort 
You've been holding out because of what it does for you, and it's a selfish thing, and you need to be willing to release it. Some of you have doubt or fear that you've been holding on to. For some of you, COVID was a very, very difficult thing. You know, over the last couple summers, I've traveled and met a lot of people your age, and I've talked, and fear has gripped your generation, and maybe you specifically, and you've been holding on to that fear, and more and more, your life has just feel like it's just been caved in by fear and anxiety, and it's coming through in things like depression. It's coming through in things where you feel like way more isolated, and you're alone, and you think things about yourself that aren't true and you've just removed yourself and God is saying would you just trust me and let go of that and let me take that fear and let me take that anxiety let me just take it from you God wants to do that tonight I believe he wants to free some of you from these very very specific things you know what I believe I believe there's some of you here tonight that God is calling you into vocational ministry and you're maybe totally outside of that, and maybe your major is something else. But God is saying, I want you in my kingdom work for a vocation. I want you to serve as a pastor or a missionary. Or in some capacity, I want you to give your career to me and let me use you. And let me set you apart. You're not better, you're just different. God called me to something very specific like that when I was 17 years old. I believe God is speaking to some of you about that very thing tonight. I really believe there's some of you here that God's been doing that. And maybe other people have even been speaking that into your life, but you've been resistant. Like me, I wanted to go into business and make money because I was raised poor. And I had to let that go. I had to let that dream go and say, God, I'm going to go where you want me to go. And I could tell you I've not regretted it for one second because God's been so good to me. there's an addiction that you think you need and you're just you're just your life is built around it and you can't let go of it you need to make make a bold move tonight and say god i want to give that to you it's in moments like this maybe where you're staring outside into the sky and you're wondering should you do it and i'm just saying do it go for it trust god he will walk every step of the way with you. So bow your heads for a minute. And I have a question for you I'd like you to consider. Is, is God speaking to you about something tonight? Very specific. And if he is, just want you, I want to invite you to raise your hand right now. No one looking around. Just say, God is speaking to me about something. Just raise your hand. I want to see. Leave him up for a second. Put him up high so I can see. See lots of people raising their hands. And I believe there's many more. There's a lot of hands. You can put your hands down for a minute. And let me ask you, those of you that raised your hands, you can probably pinpoint something. You may not know all the answers or the outcomes, but you know there's something there. And I want to invite you just to take a little extra step here for a second. Those of you that raised your hands, I'm going to invite you right now, just where you are, just to stand right now. And I want to pray for you. Just stand where you are. Love it. If you didn't raise your hand, you're like, man, I should have. Well, stand. This is your chance. Spiritual emphasis in a, a week like Ignite, 
is where moments like this become a reality and you start to put feet to these moments of faith. Now, for those of you with your heads bowed, I want you to look around. I want you to look at what God's doing here. And for those of you standing, I want to show you the support that you have here at Bethel. And so if you're standing right now, I'm going to invite you right now just to come down here and stand along the front. Just come right now. And spread out as best you can. Now, every single one of you has someone in this room that cares for you. It might be a faculty member that's here tonight or a friend or a roommate or a teammate. I want you to spread out as much as you can. Just fill the front here because what I want to ask in a moment is for the support of your friends to come and to pray with you and to pray for you and have a moment together to seal what God is doing specifically, what he is speaking to you about. And I'm excited for this journey for you. I'm excited to see how this will play out. And maybe one day we'll run into each other again and I'll be able to hear about this moment, how it changed the course of your life. How God prepared you in these, in, in these moments this week to make a bold move and just like Joseph, bring about justice in a way that you could never have dreamed possible. I just can't wait. So, um, friends, as best you can that are here, I want you to find someone up here. And I want you to just get near to them. This is going to be a little messy for a minute, but I want every single person to have a hand on their shoulder in this moment. So find a friend. You're going to have to push your way through the crowd here a little bit, but that's, that's okay. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.